Hi, this is Sarah from Little Tart Bake Shop in Atlanta. I want to tell y'all about the third annual cookie grab that is happening right now. Um, we have raised over the past two years over $50,000 for Planned Parenthood Southeast um, through a fundraiser that basically links up Atlanta's best bakers, pastry chefs, and chefs. And what we do is we all, uh, there's 26 of us this year, it's our biggest box ever. It's like 10 more cookies than last year. We um, each bake a cookie uh, and you get a box that has one of each cookie from 26 bakers. So you get a box of 26 cookies. Every single dollar that you spend on that box goes to Planned Parenthood Southeast. It stays in the uh, in Planned Parenthood in our community. Some of that money has helped the uh, fund the center in East Atlanta. It's uh, so it's really awesome. We're selling them now through um, basically through like February until we sell out, but through early February. And then they'll be available for pickup at uh, locations around town, including Little, Tar Little Tartan Summerhill, um, Octane on the West Side, Sun in My Belly. And then also this year we have a pickup in Athens. So if anybody is listening from Athens, you can buy a cookie box and pick it up at the expat. So uh, they are $60. And if we sell all 500, which I'm confident we will, we will raise $30,000 for Planned Parenthood Southeast. So buy a cookie box for, you know, your friends, your office, your... Uh, your significant other because we're picking them up on uh, the 13th and 14th. So Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day. And if you want to find out more, you can go to Little Tart Instagram, Little Tart's Instagram. We're going to have a link right at the top of where you can buy a cookie box and that'll send you to Planned Parenthood's website. And it's weird to say, but it's like it's about managing fear and unpredictability because construction. I mean, I've heard it. Uh, I should I should find out exactly where I found this, but it's like construction is up there as as a stress level equal to divorces and childbirth, supposedly. So it's just you go through so much, um, and how how people manage that is is really where the magic happens. We spend a lot of time just trying to help our clients understand it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This happens. You know, we're gonna we're gonna work through it. Because when that when that fear pops up, people you know they're they're they get afraid. We we sort of try to help them through our experience. Just say, look, we've been through this before. There's ways through this. Let's just keep talking to each other. Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast: Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host Ben Getz. When you walk into one of your favorite restaurants, you're met with a multitude of sensory experience. Amazing aromas coming from the kitchen, natural light coming through crafted windows, maybe some great music playing, and friendly greetings from multiple people. And what John and Vivian Bensick, founders and owners of Square Feet Studio, set out to do for their clients was work that was smart, simple, and sustainable. And their team works across multiple industries, but their touch on some of our city's most beloved restaurants can be seen and deeply loved and appreciated daily. And this duo and their powerhouse group of designers and architects have worked on restaurant designs like Staple House, The General Mirror, West Egg, Bar Mercado, Recess, Little Tart Bake Shop, and many more that have added to the dining landscape of Atlanta. John, Vivian, and I sat down on their patio just off the Beltline this past December for a conversation about their work, Atlanta, and how they met. So here we go. I mean, this is great. I uh, I was really hoping because like <laughs> I was telling John like when I got here, I didn't. I, I parked right over here. Yeah. And no, I was like, I. and I was like, no, I only know the one door to the studio, and it's the <laughs> one that I walk by on the Beltline yep. all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's like I'm gonna jump the hedges with all my gear and just be a yep. total douche. And uh, everybody goes yeah. around the wrong way, yeah. the old way before the Beltline mm -hmm. came the right way. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So this is the front door then. Yeah. yeah. So to speak. That's our first test for yeah. clients if they can figure out this is the front door. Yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah. If and you're I've, at the buzzer for 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I've I've walked by and tried to you know do do it so ever uh, surreptitiously seeing you guys sitting with a client. I'm like I know that guy. We keep telling yeah. people to just knock just on the door on and come in. in. We really do. Just come on in. I mean, we're, 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 we try not to be rude and we try mm -hmm. to be very open yeah. when people want to say hey. So yeah. But, come um, on in. Yeah. But man, it's it's so awesome to have you guys on the show and uh, introducing you to John and Vivian. And how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Bensick? Bensick. You Bensick. Got it right. So John and Vivian Bensick of Square Feet studio correct right i think a lot of people uh, get that wrong and i i like i kind of jumped down their throat a little bit they're like <laughs> i was like oh yeah is that the square foot 
place on the, as like at square feet? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Many you feet, yeah. one studio. Right. We are not a dance studio. <laughs> We're not a footwear company. Yet. We're not a yeah. footwear company and yeah. we don't sell real estate. Yeah. That's good. You, <laughs> a dance studio would actually be a really great pivot or a new vertical for you guys. Yeah. We get yeah. catalogs uh, solicitations sometimes. <laughs> you know, the footwear catalog will come to the office like, oh yeah, somebody else that thinks we sell footwear. Yeah. Or we could be like a podiatrist, <laughs> like stinky feet studio. Yeah. Or Does anyone, do they categorize like you have a square foot? Like, is that a thing in the... Podiatry in industry, or no, it's well, in, in the construction industry and well, design. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, and we have found out when we branded ourselves 17 years ago, and you use very common words like square feet that can also turn into square foot and studio. Right. And you do Google searches, you find all kinds of things. You find yeah. the square yeah. foot studio graphic design firm in Austin, Texas. You find studios. You find all kinds of different things. But yeah, you know, knock on wood, it's ours, and we're going to stick with it. And We'll correct people when we have to, but we, just say we many, answer to a lot of things. Many feet, one studio. Yeah, Singular that's good. Studio, yeah. That's good. Yeah. You know, it, it is funny, though. I wonder if, like, you go to the right shoe store and they're like, um, so you have what we would call a square foot and you need <laughs> right. this kind of shoe. So that could be a pain in the ass. But, uh, but we yeah. want to do a shoe store. Yeah, we maybe. Design a shoe this store. is the new this is the square feet shoe, shoe yeah. studio. It's the combining of all yeah. the feelings yeah so this is my new podcast about business ideas i'm glad that you guys could be here today <laughs> but uh john and vivian welcome to the show welcome to the atlanta Foodcast. and uh, i'm just so i'm so stoked to have you guys on the show and like we have a lot to to cover i mean you guys have done so many awesome things here in the culinary community of atlanta um from from just the the most like tangible parts of what the consumer base can really see and consume with their eyes and that's such a huge part of how you experience someone's hard work and it's it's just been something that i've had on my my mind and um, like kind of with, was birthed out of season one. I was like, you know what? I think I know the right people to reach out to and I hope they would want to be on the show. So it's just such an honor to have you guys here. So thanks again. Thank or thanks you. for having me actually. So, <laughs> and I've got great coffee and yeah, again, we're sitting on the belt line and I mean, it's weird. People are wearing shorts and it's December mm-hmm. 1st, 2nd, December 2nd. That's one of the perks of living in Atlanta, right? Yep. You can get a day like this pretty much any month out of the year. Yeah, yep. indeed. It's indeed. So, um, but here's the inescapable first question that all of my guests uh, receive. So, you guys can answer this somewhat separately, and then we'll kind of lead into how you guys met. Uh, but the first question that each of you get, and Vivian, will start with you, but I want to know who cooked for you growing up, and what kind of cook was he or she? Well, I'd have to say it was my mom, who still cooks for me. We're excited about her coming for Christmas in a couple of weeks. Um, my family is a Greek, of uh, Greek heritage, so my mom was parents were very traditional and my dad actually sold food service equipment commercial equipment so when you see the trimark trucks around town that was and you see i don't know if you noticed they've got a uh, um, presence here in atlanta big time but they had bought several companies across the country and his company was in winston-salem north carolina so my mom had a few commercial equipment pieces like back in the day when the KitchenAid mixer my dad had floor mixers and my mom used to always say the shoemaker's child is the poorest shod she used to have to beg to get sort of these homeware things but long ago she did get one of those KitchenAid mixers she was she's an amazing baker she made some traditional greek pastries like baklava my father was a workaholic. He had a, a vineyard and um, grew vegetables. And so she would can vegetables. They would do that together. He had peach trees. He had grapevines that did become, he liked the agricultural side of it. And then he'd have this bumper crop of tomatoes or potatoes or leeks or whatever. So my mom cooked with the seasons. My dad grew vegetables like crazy. I remember driving and taking um Um, like a truckload of cabbages to the soup kitchen in Winston-Salem. But when my mom cooked, I would say um, she and my dad both were very vegetable forward, but then she would do lots of grilled meats. um, And of course, you know, having a sweet tooth, I mean, all the fun sweet things that she would make. And she had a bridge club and she would have her lady friends over. And that was the only time my parents didn't smoke, but they were, they, they would be smoking and drinking, you know, drambouille in the house. And she would make those, what's that Southern dish that's like a, a ambrosia, ambrosia salad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah salad. Oh. All those seventies, those really good seventies desserts, like with like canned cherries and crap like that. It was mm. wonderful. So she made everything. She still does. She's a great cook. 
And um, the one thing that my dad would contribute is when they got married in 1962, someone gave them the Vincent Price cookbook, which looks like this massive Bible. And it's the craziest, I guess Vincent Price, the horror guy, he was some, um, he was a chef or he was, he was a, he was a culinary, he was a foodie back in the sixties when people made, you know, and, and my dad would make traditional with the raw egg Caesar salad. So Whoa. it used to drive my mom, my mom nuts because my brother and I would get all excited about my dad being in the kitchen making the Caesar salad, but he would make it out of the Vincent Price cookbook. Wow. So he did that. And then um, he would also make like those little but before they'd have people over for drinks, he'd make those little smoked salmon canapes with. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he would do two things. And my mom would do everything else, and we would, you know, be like, "Oh my God, Dad's in the kitchen." Yeah, but the traditional Caesar dressing is such like a—it's t- almost like people going to a restaurant now and be like, "Oh my gosh, they're gonna make guacamole next oh, yeah. to my table." The table like, side—that's not that impressive. But yeah. like back in like the <laughs> '60s and '70s, it's like, yeah, if you want Caesar dressing, this is the only yeah. option because yeah. there's anchovies in it. Yeah, and, and raw egg. Like, <laughs> oh, we, yeah. don't, we don't know how to bottle that yet. No, <laughs> they. And my dad did the anchovies, the full-on thing. It was very lemony. I think he used a lot of lemon to make sure it was good, cooking though. the egg. Yeah. 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 with the acid yeah yeah so that's that's how I grew up I mean that's I obviously awesome, enjoy eating and enjoyed you know a good healthy um, dose of cooking my my grandfather had a restaurant in Winston-Salem my uncle worked there both my uncles and my father worked at the restaurant years 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 ago wow 50s and 60s so yeah. were yeah. you a good eater growing oh, up? <laughs> except for tomatoes I hate it's so weird oh, looking back on that and I was remembering your podcast with Stephen Satterfield he was saying he was picky I wasn't picky but I hated tomatoes huh. and I remember my dad like wanting to give me tomato you know, serve his homegrown tomatoes and I'd say yes but then I couldn't eat them because I just but I love them now yeah that's good yeah Yeah, I mean I honestly I can say uh very candidly because it's my show and you know (laughs) truth is a new thing that I'm trying out with my own media but uh, I didn't really love tomatoes until like this past season where I was buying just really ugly beefsteak tomatoes Mm. from the farmer's market and then that on a slice of sourdough that either I baked or came from a bakery here in town with dukes and mm-hmm. just salt and pepper and just a big and then we grew our own we grew some cherokee purple tomatoes mm-hmm. on our patio and uh this was the first year that i was like tomatoes rule like, i think you start to appreciate them when you start we tr- we've tried yeah. to grow them at our old house in virginia highlands we were growing them in the shade we didn't know idea what we were doing <laughs> and These then don't need sunlight. i remember asking my dad my mom gave me a book that says how to grow vegetables we just didn't know we had too much shade in our yard and i think mm-hmm. you start to really appreciate and we've grown them since we've been in druid hills and they Mater Magic, that stuff that you can, like, mm-hmm. um, f- fertilizer. I just, I'm not good at growing tomatoes. Mm. I'd rather buy them at the farmer's yeah. market. We'll have to, we'll have to do some uh, tomato research this coming summer. It'll <laughs> yes. be great. We're, we're going to, we're going to put tomatoes back on the I map. I think they're so. hard. They're, people say they're not hard to grow. We grew cucumbers this summer, which was mm. good. They're supposed to be easy yeah. to grow. They grow like weeds. Yeah. 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 yeah not tomatoes. Yeah. My son will come over and eat all of the cucumbers. Like he's almost four and he loves cucumbers. We so. started losing them yeah. though towards the end of the season and it was our dog. Oh. Our dog was eating them. Oh, yeah. that's a, uh, yeah, you've got a good yeah. omnivore dog. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, but <laughs> she so was cool. eating them. Yeah. That's great. Oh, man, but that's such a cool story. I love that. I love the, the Caesar dressing. That's got like, such a visual. Oh, yeah. like, oh, man, I can only imagine. I'll never forget him yeah. Yeah. working yeah. in the kitchen with so the cool. egg. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, John, I want to throw the same question to you, man. I want to know who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? Yeah, so I should start out by saying um, I clearly hit the jackpot uh, when I met when I met Vivian, um, because um, I've more I've ways the, than one. <laughs> because I've had the good fortune of enjoying uh, enjoying some of that same same tradition, um, and she's actually inherited a lot of those sort of unbelievable uh, skills in the kitchen. She certainly takes care of our daughter Lily, and I in the kitchen. My 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 tradition growing up is my mother as well um, did all the cooking. My dad was the come home, what's for dinner guy you know basically he had a little there was a little bit um of weekend cooking that he would do he would do like the um the bacon and the pancakes done and the bacon grease you know to sort of uh to sort of fill in a little bit for for those sort of meals but it was mostly my mom and um it was a meat and potato kind of thing um it was literally ground beef and mashed potatoes or pot roast um a specialty on the on the weekend might be like eggs goldenrod where she would get in there instead of my dad and do the, the hard-boiled egg and turn it into a goldenrod 
Um, she would try to sneak in liver occasionally, which never made it past oh, the, the, diabolical. The, the front door. Mm. And she'd be like, oh, it's just a steak that looks different. Like, oh my no, gosh, my parents tried not. that on us. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, we're like, this tastes rotten or burnt or what'd you do? Like, yeah. this doesn't taste good. Yeah. Fess like, up. Yeah, they're like, it's, it's like steak. And like, you're <laughs> <Yeah>. a liar. <laughs> different a liar. part of the yeah. cow. Yeah. But it was literally, every meal had three things. There was this meat thing and this starchy potato thing and this green thing. And, and they were they were all wonderful, but it was very, very basic. Very, very just salt of the earth sort of, sort of stuff. Yeah. She did all the shopping at the grocery store. Um, and, you know, for, to me, it largely appeared. I didn't mm-hmm. really, I, I had to clean up. Afterwards, I had two sisters. We would alternate with sort of who had to clean up. But it was very much uh, my mother sort of just taking care of and making sure we were all fed. Breakfast kind of existed as sort of, sort of a quick get out the door with some cereal uh, sort of thing. Um, and then lunch was usually at school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I remember. But, uh, but I was, you know, I always felt blessed to always have like a really good dinner. I felt like every night there was always more than enough to eat. And it was simple which was just fine for me. I didn't really know what the options were out there to do sort of other interesting stuff like Vivian was being exposed Your to. Your dad's I, chili recipe. We still well, make his chili recipe. He did. He did make a chili. You're right. And the chili, it was like canned tomatoes and, and sort of basic ingredients, but it was good. It yeah. was just salt of the earth, basic sort of good food that, you could, sort of, that you could sort of keep in the, in the refrigerator for a couple of days and it would sort of get yeah. better over time. So those were my traditions. It was real basic simple classic um stuff i just didn't i didn't know the nuances that were out there at all until we sort of met vivian and got to, to put it mildly i didn't know no, the nuances. your mom i'm remembering you know what your mom gave us when we got married we still have it the we still pot. use it well no the crock no the um the cookbook john's mom typed out yeah. all his favorite childhood oh, wow. recipes and put them potato in supreme. yeah and we use the potato supreme <laughs> which is which basically is, baked twice baked potatoes sort yeah. of. <laughs> that's a better name though potato yeah potato supreme. supreme is way better than twice baked potato. Yeah. twice baked kind of throws everybody off they're like yeah. wait so you cook it twice like it, yeah. yeah yes you <laughs> yeah. do you do and it's one of those things that it's like anything with a pint of sour cream and two sticks of butter is going to be pretty good and potatoes <laughs> yeah and potatoes yeah. Yeah. and we don't do p- bacon in it but we just do cheese yeah. and um Green onions. Yeah. yeah. Sour, this is tasty. Sour cream and two sticks of butter out of a dirty boot is yeah, going to taste really gonna good. it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. So we, she gave us that, and mm-hmm. we did, we tried. She gave us, like, your favorite chocolate mousse. They used to call John yeah, when right. he was little Johnny Moose. His dad, that was dad's nickname. Cause he wanted <laughs> I don't think this is a subject for the podcast. <laughs> but I thought we were talking about His favorite <laughs> dessert was mousse, and we made it, like, once or twice, but it has, like, eight egg yolks. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's and then really you rich. do the, you know, the, the um, yeah white separately it was very rich and yeah. so we might have to get your mom to do that for us when she, oh, she would love to do that yeah. yeah moose is another one of those like lost age kind of things that people Old like school. when it appears people are like i remember this mm-hmm. like yeah it, it's good it's basically like you kind of reintroduce the whites and if you didn't you basically have creme brulee yeah it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's yeah, really good awesome. but um but that's actually a perfect segue talking about like you know how you guys met like that's actually one of my next questions i want to know like where 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 were you guys and how did you two meet you want to start? nobody well, wants to answer this we met at georgia tech <laughs> we did at, yeah and uh in grad school mm-hmm. at in the college of architecture yeah i had i had come straight to architecture school out of high school in florida I uh, came to Georgia Tech mostly because I knew, well, I knew, I, I wanted to leave the state. I wanted to explore, you know, something further away and a big, and a big city, which at the time, to me, Atlanta was just a huge city. Um, and so I came to school at Georgia Tech and was doing my thing through undergraduate and then, and then the graduate program, when in the graduate school, Georgia Tech does a really good job of bringing in, they basically double the size of the graduate program with people who came from backgrounds that weren't architecture. Which was great for those of us who had studied architecture for four years because we got to see these other points of view that were much more about the reality of the world as opposed to the sort of microclimate that you get when you're only studying architecture. And Vivian, Vivian was one of those students who had all these, they'd come in with these crazy ideas and they had liberal arts backgrounds and the professors always liked them because they always were like talking about interesting stuff. And, then, and we were always a little bit older. Yeah. Generally. Sometimes a lot older. Not me. <laughs> I was about to say, do you really want to go there? <laughs> no, we had people in, in our, well, and so you keep telling me John's kept up with Georgia Tech, but he's on juries all the time. And th- the program was called extended degree that I was in. They don't call it, we call it distended degree. <laughs> but um, 
it, it, if you had a degree other than architecture, you would mm -hmm. have two years to sort of prep. You'd have the same professors, studio, culture, and then they would throw you in with the people who had undergrad mm -hmm. degrees in architecture. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a four-year progr four program for a master's. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess it's a little different than that now. Mm -hmm. But um, but we met in the what, third, 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 my third, third year, year. year yeah. the first of my year, and, and finished school at the same time. Yeah. Gotcha. In what, 91, 92? John's program is a four plus two, and I'm a four plus four to get a master's in architecture, which is the first professional degree that you can mm -hmm. then sit for the exam that Ted gives. Yeah. Um, gotcha. we, did a, we did a project together right before oh. the summer term, and mm -hmm. then you went to um, France, and I went to San Francisco. I went to San Francisco for a job. This is between 91. right before our last year of graduate school and she went to France and that's when we sort of started courting. Well, that I was think. a portfolio. Um, <laughs> courting. Long like distance that. letters, yes. you know, old school John stuff. John wrote good letters. Yeah, <laughs> and he, I was there with a bunch of his, I mean, a bunch of our friends, Willard and Caroline and Carter and that group. But um, yeah, there was a program that they just started at Tech. I think it continues on. It was called Modern Architecture in the European City. Mm -hmm. So we were in Florence, Berlin, mm -hmm. and Paris for six weeks. Oops, should I move? Yeah. So we, it was a really cool, um, wonderful experience in 91 to be there with my classmates. And we had some pretty amazing professors from all over. We had Tony Vidler from Princeton. We had our Georgia Tech professors. And uh, John is not explaining, but he was he won a portfolio um, competition, right, for the SOM thing. It was, a, it was a job based upon a portfolio submission that Skidmore, Owings, and Marriott in San Francisco put together. That, that Georgia Tech had a great tradition of sending graduate students to, I would say, I think the third in a row to, to you know, win, the, win the position. And it was a little crazy because it's when one of the times, in, and since we've been in the profession, that the economy tanked. Mm -hmm. And so I was out there in this program, which was a commi commitment of 10 or 12 weeks, and by about midway through they started laying people off and i was oh, playing man. softball with these people and going to lunch with these people and then on friday they'd be like yeah i don't work here anymore but i'm gonna keep playing on the softball team so i'll see you there and i'm like <laughs> yeah and i'm just the summer intern who has his job anyway because they've already funded it sorry yeah but you know it was, oh, it was a big it was a great city it was yeah. a, a bigger city than atlanta or a more mature city than atlanta sure also on really, the really edge great. of where like when things started getting bad here mm. it was before you know california always gets it it was, as they say, a good time to be in school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being a little bit insulated from kind of what's going on in the outside world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but man, that's so cool that you guys met in, in college. And then obviously, I mean, with you both pursuing architecture and, you know, design, um, you know, I, you know, wh where did like the idea kind of come forward for both of you? I mean, just as you guys progressed, you know, in, in your relationship together, but where did the idea for like square feet kind of... Be, where, where was that birth? Do you know? I mean, do you, do you have that kind of like in your minds? So you're smiling at me. So we <laughs> <laughs> were driving to Mississippi for a wedding. Let's say flash forward what ten years, almost eight, nine eight. years. Yeah, ninety two. Yeah. We graduated. We were sort of our careers were on trajectories. We got married shortly after school. We got married in ninety three, and and so we we were um we didn't have a, it was just us. We didn't have we didn't have our, our child yet, and we were sort of embarking on these. Sort of different paths. Vivian was getting a little bit more into the hospitality aspects interiors. of design and interiors. Um, our degrees were the same, but I, and I was doing more adaptive use work with a firm around town, Smith Dahlia, that, that that was really doing a lot of that in the early ages. And you know, we after about the seven years or so, we were sort of getting to this. A lot of people get the seven-year itch. You know, they sort of talk about it, but you get to this idea of like, what's next? You know, where do I want the sort of next trajectory of my career to launch? And and we were, Vivian would tease me that our projects only got to a certain point. You know, mm -hmm. we did the architecture and then, oh, we need an interior designer. Let's get an interior designer. And we'd ask them to, like, pick colors. And then the, it wasn't super, super satisfying necessarily. But it was, it was what was needed, you know, for, for, the, for those particular clients. And Vivian would be working on these projects and she'd be like, gosh, why did the architects do all this stuff? I wish I could fix some of this. And, but she kind of couldn't because the role was different. And that was really common in the profession and to some extent, you know, still really is the sort of distinction between what an interior designer does and what an architect does and we were just we were just sort of getting frustrated about that and thinking why don't we can't there's a better way to do this and then you know i don't know i don't know where the genesis was to start around firm except we thought if we can do this and we think we can do something that's not being provided let's let's go ahead and try it why not what's the what's the worst thing that can happen it doesn't work and we go back to the workplace you know working for new firms and then yeah we were like well, what are we going to name it we didn't want it to be benzik and benzik because it really doesn't ring An early well. one was Studio B. I and think they still get, like, 
mailings from you know office like, depot would, to studio b but then we realized why would anybody hire studio b they'd want to know where studio a yeah. was yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and we and we always believed that it's a collaborative field it's not about the genius the heroic superstar we didn't we never wanted it to be about john and vivian about well, benzik and benzik feels like it could be a law firm could be an yeah. accounting firm oh, could for be sure whatever mm-hmm. yeah. which again at that time was was the way you named firms i mean the firm names that we have now are so much more dexterous but but in the early late 1990s there that really wasn't there really hadn't exploded the way it had had now and so as we mentioned earlier square feet studio in retrospect was maybe a little naive of us but it captured what we wanted to do which was square feet as an architect you talk about square feet all the time it's a really really sometimes a boring topic but it's it's about dimensional qualities and, and quantities and, and the sort of things that that is a part of what we do and a studio is a collaborative environment it's a place where ideas flow freely it's what we had done in school and we were like so we're, we're going to mix these things we're going to have fun we're going to do exploratory stuff that that isn't trapped into expectations and is open to discovery but we're going to respect the reality of what we do, which is it's limited by gravity, it's limited by budgets, it's limited by the, the goals of clients. Um, and, and our clients not, are coming to us asking for square feet to be made, to be thought about critically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also thought it captured the idea that we were designing. We weren't being architects or interior designers or planners. We were designing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and the typology that you thought you were doing or the particular service you thought you were doing you know, we felt like we would we would be able to open that up and show you that there was more you might be able to get um, than what you thought you were asking for. Yeah, that's really cool. So you guys, I mean, you guys have the idea for Square Feet Studio, and then um, you guys are obviously working in the marketplace. And I mean, did you guys always have the idea of like, you know, we're going to start this and it's going to be in Atlanta? Was was that always the idea? I mean, we we toyed around earlier early in our relationship with where we wanted our lives to grow. I had come from Florida. I kind of knew I didn't need to need to go back. My family had dispersed. Um, and so there wasn't like a home base. We definitely toyed around with the idea of would it be wonderful to, for our family to grow near Vivian's family in North Carolina. We thought about bigger cities and sort of um, things like that. And there's there's like a draw to Atlanta. Um, and I, I don't sort of want to totally do all the talking, agree, yeah. but it's, I mean, you, you were a half a mile from downtown Atlanta on the Beltline on a piece of property that we could afford um, with single family homes all around. I mean, that's pretty unique in a city that's got stuff going on. And it's the business center for 500 miles from here. I mean, everything drives around Atlanta for, for three states or for you know one state in any direction. And so we're like, why not? You know, it's, it's, it's had all the components that we we wanted the only thing it didn't have was a closer beach, but you know yeah. we've learned to live with <laughs> we learned to live with four hour drives to get to the beach. But yeah, you yeah. make it out to, you know, parts of like Savannah, and you're like, oh, this is great, and then you're like, oh man, I still have to drive like to you know Tybee, mm-hmm. and like how far is it? Oh come on, you know, like especially growing up like on the beach I in know. Florida, you're like, I grew up in Orlando, you know, and you're yeah. like, oh, you know, 35, 40 minutes, and you know you're throwing a surfboard in the water. And then people come to Atlanta and they're like, how far is it to the mountains? Like, okay, that's not that bad. How far is yeah. it to the beach? Like, how do you live there? Yeah. It's like, well, you know, it's, you know, the you mountains get, are nice. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get no, used to it. Just, yeah. Mountain, <laughs> you get to get both sides of it. Mountain person, beach person. But yeah. I think like we've Googled it before to see what the closest beach is. Is it like, uh, is it Panhandle or is it Tybee? Yeah, it might be either that or it's very close to being equidistant. I'm not really sure. Four and a half, five hours. Yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, take me through, um, you know, for, for you guys as a studio, you know, take me through like just like the areas that you guys really work on and then we'll kind of like take that into like the, the hospitality industry and talk about some of the work that you guys have done. But like, tell me a little bit about like the business. Hmm. The business. <laughs> better with the business part, it's John. it's a business thank you good night well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's interesting though because um it was started as a lifestyle choice i mean i yeah. mean we, we we literally were had just had our child like two months before we incorporated which right. is which is like either really really stupid or really really smart or no, just well, somewhere in between but backing up a little bit the thinking behind that was though we both felt a little stagnant where we were um, seven years, we had traveled a bunch with friends of ours. We had been, you know, it was great because we had seven years before we had a kid. So we were seeing all these things overseas, whether it was Paris, where else had we gone? We had traveled a lot out west. It was, it was great. John likes to do this backpacking, hiking thing. And then we thought, okay, rather than just completely, you know, focusing on this just work, let's see how it works for us to have a small child 
it's, you know, Square Feet Studios started in our third bedroom. We lived on Virginia Avenue. We'd been there for two years, a year before we got pregnant. And so we had this great urban lifestyle. We had waited a long, we wanted to have a kid. We had wanted to live in Virginia Highlands. Those things came together. And we had a lovely developer friend who was two streets over that John knew from from um, Smith Dahlia. Chris Fosmine used to come in, in the evenings from his job. I think he worked for... Um, winter construction at the time and he came and sit and that we would talk about what was going to be puritan mill so hmm. you know it was part of a lifestyle we had a little baby and i could figure out how to make that work when she was napping we we'd have friends watch her when we went to go on a you know a go see on a job to go to the brookwood hills meet with those folks I had a dear friend from college that watched her as a tiny tiny infant and we had a series of babysitters so it worked for our life hmm. So basically, as we grew and grew and grew, I mean, they offered us space over at Puritan Mill and we moved out of the house. And as the steps happened um, and then landing here on the Beltline, we knew it was coming. We didn't know they were going to fund the East Side Trail as quickly as they as they did. We, you know, we've been here for 10 years and people come on board and work with you. So the business mm -hmm. side of it, I'd say, is how we um, sort of keep that relaxed attitude that is familial because you know we do call the folks that we work with our office kids they are all younger than us we have yet to hire anybody <laughs> older than us somehow and um you know it's it does have a family feel to it people people bring their dogs they bring their kids um the restaurant work that has gotten a lot of interest you know feels very familial in atlanta john was saying earlier it's like we know 80% of the people that have been on your podcast so far. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a family sort of feel. The business is harder sometimes, matching up budgets. We know construction's expensive. It's unpredictable. So we try to walk people through that process with a lot of caring and a lot of, you know, hand-holding. It, it isn't, you know, capital B business sort of profit <laughs> we yeah. make when you do that but I remember reading something I remember the front page of the paper reading a quote from Ann Quatrano years ago she said her margins are like two percent or something very low like yeah. that and um you know so but she has a great life and she's contributed so much to the Atlanta yeah. culture food all that so we always thought well we're doing a good thing. We're enjoying it. Um, we haven't expanded like crazy like other firms. Um, one of our goals three or four years ago was to branch out into the southeast, you know, to do regional work, and that continues. We're working right now in Charlotte, and we've been doing projects in Florida, Alabama. Met with folks in Mississippi, you know, just awesome. you know, we're on our fourth project in North Carolina, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the North Star has always been, we love what we do. We like building community and working with uh, clients that want to do that. And, and a, a friend of mine who started a law firm around the same time we did said, you know, it's amazing what happens if you just do good work, do what you say you're going to do, and pay attention. He's like, because you'd be amazed how many people don't just do those three things. And he's like, yeah. if you just keep doing those three things, you know, the work's going to come. And it has. And then as, as, as we've gotten older, we've gotten more... Um, we've been able to look internally a little bit more and say this is what we need to sort of do what we're trying to do and we've been able to sort of you know put ourselves in front of the types of clients we want to work with a little bit more as mm -hmm. we've gotten um more you know mature i suppose and in, in age but you know we've been the business aspects we've been totally self-taught and so it hasn't always been perfect but it's also i mean it's part of the reason why we're 12 instead of 20 or 30 is because we've been very deliberate about you know making sure that it's always about the quality of the work and the relationships with the clients and so to Vivian's point, sometimes it's not always a purely business decision. You know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's not, and we're, we're fine with that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that though, Vivian, you know, when you, you're talking about the, I mean, someone like Ann Quatrano, who I'm very excited, I actually very recently connected with her. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hi Ann, uh, see, see you during season two, but, um, pancake social. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it, uh, it'll just be super fun. I mean, if you've never been to, I mean, you know, throwing it back to whatever abattoir or yeah. that was our know, first restaurant. Yeah. starting like that's on my list right here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, it's French. So if people don't know how to pronounce that, like we can cover that, but, uh, but it's just, it's cool. You know, one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to start this podcast, uh, last year was, um, 
or, you know, two years ago, actually now it's crazy when I started working on it in 2017, you know, was there, there's a lot to dispel about industry in general, but especially when it comes to the restaurant industry, people look at chefs and they immediately think to whatever show they see on Netflix mm-hmm. and like those people are rock stars mm-hmm. and they just live this lavish lifestyle and they're just like, you know, chiffonading herbs and then like jumping into some, you know, private plane and doing an event like okay like that's horseshit that you believe that about the industry it's not the same like i know people who are the working force that Mm. make the culinary industry possible and those are the people that i want to celebrate because and and then the other side of it too is like you know these people's margins are not you know astronomical they're not making like a 70 percent margin on you as a customer like they work so hard to to make a margin at all right you know to really not lose money on their business and it's, um, you know, I, I grew up in the restaurant you know, both my parents are chefs and like, I just seeing them work 80 hours a week or right. more, you know, and then go do an event on the weekend or summer travel, you know, and, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a side of the industry that I want to, to really continually dispel for people to really see the true side of it, of that these people work hard to, to present the craft that they've chosen for their life. And I just see it as something that's super important. And it's also a huge part of what makes Atlanta it's so amazing. I mean, our tagline is that these are people who make Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. And you guys are a huge part of that, <laughs> you know, and we're going to, we're going to continue talking about that, but, um, it's just, it's, it's an aspect that I want people to grasp more of, you know, don't, don't look at the restaurant world through this lens you know Mm -hmm. look at it through the one that actually makes the most sense to the person who is also a business owner Mm -hmm. and is also trying to be an artist for your expectation so you definitely have to and I think it's similar to what we do you definitely have to keep your eye on why you're doing it Mm -hmm. and realize that all those struggles are worth it in the end because you're building community or you're building um, awareness of, of, of what comes out of the ground and what we put in our bodies or in our case how important it is to build things that are meaningful and that stand the test of time and that don't get thrown away. So yeah, there's an aspect to it that is incredibly uh, soulful. Um, and if you get, when you lose track of that, you should get out, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, because the other pressures just wind up being more than you want to deal with if you can't keep that, that kind of North Star in focus. We have t- tremendous respect and we've learned so much from our mm-hmm. clients. Absolutely. The, the, the heartfelt conversations we have to have with them about budgets and costs and things like that. And I think the reason we're able to work so well with that community is because we do care and we do listen and we are trying to figure out how to help them with their business not just sort of drop some beautiful thing on them because you know designers can get a reputation for yes. just just sort of saying you have to do this or it's not worth it <clears throat> or i'm so smart look at me you should do this everybody wants me we don't believe that at, at all i mean the, the the client has to want it as much as anybody and we're, we're here to listen to them and tell them truth and, and try to help them get done what they they want to do because there's nothing worse than having somebody um, struggle because of they overinvested in their restaurant. You know, yeah. we we hate to see that. You know, so we try to give the best advice we can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I, you know, I, th- I think in that vein, I mean, I want to I want to talk about some of the the projects that you guys have done. I mean, and you know, sitting right here in your office on the patio. I mean, if we threw a baseball hard enough, we could roll the ball into <laughs> some of these places, parking lots. You know, and but um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a bunch just in my mind and a few listed out here, but. You know, for I don't know for those listening who might not know some of the project that you guys have worked with on the client side that you know they have <laughs> essentially consumed multiple times. Like, talk me through some of the ones that you know you would mention. Just like just for the for the listener side, like what what are some of the things you guys have done here in Atlanta? I, I mean, it's you know we'll you know I'm embarrassed to say I'm sure we'll we'll forget some you know folks that we've worked with that we really love. But I mean, Staple House is always gonna. Right percolate up in my head because, you know, it's so much more than the restaurant. Um, you know, the relationship we had started with Jen and Ryan um, uh, early on when it was just going to be Staple House, you know, an, another restaurant for a, a great up-and-coming chef and what it turned into was life-changing for, for me, for Vivian, for the office, and, and ultimately for the community, not just here, but, you know, certainly through the southeast and more so um, um, nationally. Um, we, we, we helped sort of get a, a national award for the design of that restaurant relative to its uh, business plan. You know, it's a unique thing where all the profits go into the giving kitchen to sort of help the community here. And it's a modest restaurant, you know, it's 40 or 50 seats, uh, some of the best best culinary experiences you can have in the in the country. That's always gonna have a, have a, a special spot, even though it's, you know, it's a small restaurant. And from a design standpoint, I, it, you know, it was a complicated project. It was adaptive reuse. It was it was a building that Ryan and Jen had seen from the beginning. Wonderful owners who are their landlords now. It was complicated. The city didn't make it easy. <laughs> Thanks, John's Atlanta. shaking his head. Yeah, but I think you know it. it I literally kept a journal 
during that project because there was so much going on. I was like, this is biblical. What is going on here is biblical. I mean, there, there's a, it's, it was unbelievable what that project went through. But it shows, but to me, it just adds to the value of it. Um, the challenges that that project went through were supernatural, literally. Um, and then here it is. It's in the community. It's yeah. awesome. It's nationally recognized. And that's, it's doing great all things. All that's before you, you get Ryan Smith in there cooking how he's cooking, which is, you know, otherworldly. Yeah. We were just there a week ago. Yeah. and. You talk about like degrees of separation as well. Like, yeah. you know, you guys know so many people that were on season one of the show. Like it was hard to find someone who didn't like, Oh yeah, I remember working with Ryan, like another, yeah. another yeah. person that like has, has been touched by this amazing individual well, or this we, team of people, you know, we got, I think we got staples. I mean, we knew Jen because we did uh, over on the West side. See, she worked at seed factory at the same time that Ryan was at Bacchanalia and then at local three at uh, no, he was at uh, Muss and Turner's. Muss and Turner's yeah. So we knew Jen and we met she's like i have a chef my husband's a chef so and then through their friendships with the as we call them the kimball house boys i think we were working with jen and she gave us a good seal of approval on many cases so thank you jen mm, yeah. saying to you know whether it was brian or, or yeah. miles you know well, you, you one. should hire those guys and we didn't really know them that well and we've gotten to know them pretty well and this was yeah. like seven years ago and i remember going into the first talking about the kimball house guys going it wasn't into the, that long ago well, when I first met him, it was certainly, you know, five, six years ago. And going into the depot, which was just an empty space, and I went into this room, and I had been talking to Miles via email and a phone call. And I go into the room, and there's like nine people in the room. And I'm like, wait a second, who are all you people? You know? And it's Miles, and it's Brian, and it's Matt, and it's Jesse, and it's Mike, and, and Tom, and, and Dave. John came home, and he's like, you can, can you come with me? Because we need more designers, not... Too many clients in the room. <laughs> but I just remember the first conversation was, I'm not sure we can get all these guys to want the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, knock on wood, you know, we, we did. They're amazing and clients. Awesome. We told them that they could be, they could what, teach client school, good yeah. restaurant or client school, because they yeah. do. They, they come together very yeah. well, that obviously. Is, that's a very real thing. And I think that that should be an approach of something. I mean, I've worked on the agency side of marketing. And uh, when you have like a bad client mm. and you have a really awesome client, like you should be yeah. able to like, have there should be a value that everyone just yeah. adheres to it's like don't work with like people who are just mean you know yeah. like yeah. if you're yeah. mean you don't deserve to work with good people right. like you need to, like here's the bad people you can work with like all of you like mean people <laughs> have to work together and just go be miserable by yourselves right you know because the good people it's are just so amazing per you know it's really personal oh, even sure. though it's you know the re we've done a little bit of residential and that's one difference uh, these wonderful residential designers that are out there and you're standing there talking about somebody's toilet but i'm sorry you know a re the young restaurateurs that we've worked with it's and, and even some of the developers we've worked with when it, you know, we don't like spreadsheet design. We don't want to design to a spreadsheet because I think then nobody's happy. But I would say that it's very personal. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you either, you, you know, you get along or you don't or you learn how to you figure it out. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's weird to say, but it's like it's about managing fear and unpredictability because construction. I mean, I've heard it. Uh, I should I should find out exactly where I found this. But it's like construction is up there. As, as a stress level equal to divorces and childbirth, mm. supposedly. So it's just, you go through so much. Um, and how, how people manage that is is really where the magic happens. We spend a lot of time just trying to help our clients understand it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. This happens, you know, we're gonna we're gonna work through it. Because when that when that fear pops up, people, you know, they're, they're, they're get afraid. We, we yeah. sort of try to help them through our experience, just say, look, we've been through this before, there's ways through this, let's just keep talking to each other. Um, and we'll be able to come up with something great on the other end. We've done it before, you know, it'll be all right. Because for most of our clients, it's the first time. Mm. Take a small break for this helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the best um, aerial distraction I've had during a recording. That was just, it was very audible. I don't even see it. I know, I don't either. Yeah. I was like, where, it, maybe that was someone, maybe it was a drone. <laughs> right over the building. Goodness gracious. All um, in the belt line. Yeah, yeah but, but we're but we're acutely aware that that part of our job is to demystify and to make people comfortable with this incredibly stressful thing they're about to go through, which is to do a restaurant. Um, and for some of them, it's the first restaurant. And for some of them, it's the second. And for some of them, it's, it's the tenth. But it's still um, the, the, the stresses are still um, um, real and have to be managed. And you've got to keep your eye on the prize, as I always say. What are you trying to do? Let's make sure every decision circles around making sure you can do right. what you're trying to do when we get done. Yeah. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's where we came up with smart, simple, sustainable in the beginning. I mean, that was to, for all projects, not just restaurant projects, but let's try to make smart, help our clients make smart decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, one thing I really want to encourage people to do is like if, they, if they're really curious about some of the work that you guys have done, you know, from, from your, your studio, I mean, mentioning Kimball House and Watchman's and uh, even like Recess, like right over here mm -hmm. on the Bell yeah. Line, which is amazing. Bar Mercado. Yeah, Bar Mercado. I mean, like, well, shout out to the Castellucci's because yeah. they're not only are they on fire yes. at this very moment. On and fuego. always Yes. <laughs> but um, just always amazing and just such yeah. great people. I mean, how often do you find those two together? But yes. that's just such a fun space. I've always looked at Recess and thought like, man, what a, it, it just does more than like, it's, it's more than just going to eat. You're like, wow, this has a really yes. very specific motif that's, that it's really fitting into. Jennifer in our office had, had that, that's where, you know, when we have a group of people, she was thinking about, she's very much into the work of different artists and she travels out West and goes to Marfa, Texas. And she knows, and we've, we've talked through it where we want to get inspired. We want to hire people even smarter than we are. And there, she, when she sat down with the Castellucci's, she had, designers and she had, she had artists that she, they were thinking of mm -hmm. for that space and have that Cali cool California vibe yeah. to match the food. We just had takeout from there for a, a lunch and learn in the office and it was terrific. Yeah. Was oh my really gosh. Good. Yeah. Everything I've ever had from recess is good. phenomenal. Yeah. And then like, I think, I mean, I love Bar Mercado and I have a almost four year old and a two year old and I think they're even bigger fans yeah. of Bar Mercado, not only because the food is amazing, but uh, Stephanie Castellucci mm. is the most congenial, yes. wonderful person. Yeah. And yes. somehow I think she loves my children more than I do, which is, you oh. know, she's amazing. <laughs> she, but um, <laughs> She gets the hospitality world. Yes, she does. Yes. The whole family does. So yes. anyway, yeah, little did you know this was going to be a podcast episode about the Castellucci group. But <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> but, but there's, um, a, yeah, there's a lot of passion. Yeah, uh, and then no we love clients with passion. No um, doubt. And they, but, were, they were great. Yeah. And I mean, you guys have just touched so many amazing places. I mean, even looking into, you know, just projects of the past and like really more present and also like going into the into the future. I'm sure, you know, there's just so much more that's, you know, kind of on on your roster. And we don't have to get into too much of that, obviously. But um, but, you know, I, I, I wanted to, to shift gears a little bit and ask you guys, you know, that one thing, you know, is that the the side of like restaurant design, you know, it's it's obviously a major aspect to, to whether people are acutely aware of it or not, that the way that the hospitality side of, of the restaurant industry, and especially even all the way down to their food, the way that that experience is presented, and um, it has so much to do with like, you know, the, the customer experience and where that leaves them as they're walking out the front door. So I, I just wanted to spend some time here and like, talk to how you guys really broach that subject with understanding someone's vision of their restaurant. And, um, the dog just made it onto the <laughs> podcast. That's great. Um, but just kind of taking that, you know, like that side of the customer and really mm -hmm. building that into how you guys are approaching the work with your clients. So mm -hmm. just want to, you know, talk to me about that a little bit. You're the layout guy. I mean, John, <laughs> you know, John will come out with Vivian's usually the talkative one. No, but <laughs> I, I do think that we are very um, functionally minded when we do a layout. And you want to know what that experience is, of course, when the client's coming through the front door and what they're seeing. But I think it starts way back before that where you're thinking about the kitchen and the pass and how the people that use that restaurant, the servers, the you know everyone, the host, how they're going to use the space. And I think, I mean, I'm just looking back to most recent one with Watchman's. I mean, the, the kitchen was set, the bar locations were set. It was, it kind of laid itself out pretty easily. And then we got to looking at furniture because it was very open space. And um, I, I just, I think the guys really had a feeling for this green growing, lush, tropical thing. And so, we always were planning on the vines and the plants growing from mm -hmm. overhead, but the, you know, the coloration and all of that with the tabletops and, um, any of the other, like we always put in our floor plan where this huge, you know, um, urn was not urn, but like a, a pot with, with growies coming out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, that the servers could kind of move around. And I think they've moved a couple of those pots around, but I think the layout always has to be something that's very, very rational. I hate going into a space where you feel like you, there's just too much going on. 
We've been in, you know, I don't want to call out certain ones, but some places where you might hit a fixed bar stool and then the moving bar stool and it's, it's, and there's no back and you're sitting kind of low, hunkered down. It looks good in the pictures, but I want to feel like I'm kind of in this space. I see the door. I see, I'm getting the feel for it, but at the same time, I'm not, um, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm part of it. I don't know. I'm not. You have to cut that part out. I'm not explaining it very well. We spent we spent a lot of time talking with our clients about what the service is going to be like, what their hospitality concepts like, to make it, making sure it all matches. I mean, we we talk a lot about how when somebody comes and opens the door, they should know immediately what to do. It shouldn't it shouldn't be a there shouldn't have to be a single a signal or somebody shouldn't have to tell them they should know what the bar is like, what the service is like as soon as they walk in the door. So we sort of talk with our clients a lot about that. And it's a lot like cooking, I think. It's like, what are the basic ingredients? Make sure they really, really work well. The hospitality, uh, the table layouts, uh, the flow. And then you, you build upon that with the ideas like, I want it to feel like you're in a hanging garden. With Watchmen's, uh, it was really important that the bar have its own identity. Right. Miles is a force, you know what I mean? And the way the restaurant had been before, the bar and the, and the, and the oyster bar were sort of mixing together. And so we, we brought a ceiling in there and we, we dimmed it a little bit in that space so that the bar could be its own thing, but that went exactly with what they were going to do, which is Miles McQuarrie, you know, behind the bar. A different operator might not have done that because mm -hmm. it might not have been about that sort of relationship. And the same way Brian Rackley with the oysters, the oysters had to have their own presence. So it, it sort of worked that way. And every every assignment is the same. It's like, what are the key things that people need to see and understand as soon as they walk in? Let's you know, let's make that let's make that happen. Yeah. Um, and um, when we when we can get into that sort of dialogue with a client. Um, they start to be advocates for their own design. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't. We never want to make it like a eureka. We figured this out. We're going to tell you about it later. We want us to all figure it out, kind of together. Yeah. So that, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, like with with um, with Brian and the Watchmen's guys. I mean, they bought some of their own stuff. We just said, go get this. It'll well, work. I guess what it's, I was trying to explain with it, it's, it's hard. There's the there's the interior architecture that happens, and so you're dropping that ceiling down because at Krog Street Market you got a lot of good old fashioned ceiling, and you've got the sawtooth up there that's letting light through. So dropping that ceiling down was not a small. It was. It, a significant part of their budget you know they took over the space didn't want to spend any money it was already a restaurant blah 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 they ha you got to spend some money but dropping that ceiling down in the bar cutting open the skylight in it and then putting the acoustical panels in there all that was a process we knew we were doing the ceiling we knew we were doing and then do you have that extra three grand for the ceiling panels? Yeah. And that's towards the end because those don't go in until all the messy stuff's done. And then that's when, you know, they, they do this wonderful friends and family where we knew we went shop. Um, Matt Christensen and I went shopping for the big containers that would hold those. And we knew that was an acoustical thing, too, because it's got all kinds of foam stuff in there that's going to help and we're going to do a lot like we ordered 35 of those things and i think matt's added even more since hmm. so we knew that was going to drop the ceiling down too but that's the loose stuff that's not the architecture stuff that's the you know the gilding the lily part that has to be thought of at the very beginning and it's hard for some clients because they can't like i'm remembering salt yard and you know that was tough because the budget was a whole new space brand new got to have a new kitchen new bar and we had cork on the floor for the sound, and that came out because it was big, $25,000 chunk to cork that floor. So Man. we had a moment with the drapery, and the drapery was whatever it was. And I said, please don't take the drapery out. You need it. You know, it's softening. It's going to close off rooms with these soft walls. Mm -hmm. And they listened. They said, okay, we won't lose the drapery. But it was tempting. Yeah. It was tempting at the end when there's like, oh, the drapery costs $7,000. Yes, it, it costs $7,000. It's so funny that you mentioned that, though, because like year in and out of dining at Salt Yard and, and being pretty close to Nick, I mean, yeah. that was always a very, I mean, I always noticed it. Like, that's yeah. a very specific design aspect of this yeah. restaurant because you don't walk into a lot of restaurants and be like, those are the tallest drapes I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I mean, but costs money to put those in. There's yeah, a lot of fabric. But they're stunning, and they're yeah. also they're. I mean, I think it's a huge differentiator. But yeah. the fact that it's beautiful, and you know, there's also a function behind it. Like, yep. I'm not smart enough to know that. But well. that's <laughs> where the, that's where the magic happens is when the design comes out of the rudiments that it's got to have. But you right. celebrate them, and you make them wonderful, and you make them intentional because then you're spending your money on things that are both creating the the awesomeness that you want the restaurant to have, but also doing something that you need, acoustically or movement-wise or or, or finish 
text-wise or color-wise, and that's where the magic happens, you know, as opposed to these sort of outside ideas. It usually comes from what are the real, real needs. When you really celebrate those and make those wonderful, that's when the, the projects really seem to work the best, Yeah, you know, ultimately. Yeah. And that's why I think you'll see in our portfolio a real wide range of the way spaces look because they reflect what those clients were trying to do. I mean, CL, it's does not look at all like Staple House, does not look at all like Watchmen's, does not look at all like like, salt, like salt Yard or Bread and Butterfly because those clients mm-hmm. had different needs and, and we met those needs, you know, through ways that were appropriate to that need. So, And that's part of what um, gives us, you know, gets us up in the morning is knowing that there's going to be a new challenge. It's not just going to be doing again what we did for the last restaurant. It's going to be a new challenge, which is awesome. Yeah. Or on a bad day, it's like schizophrenia. Because <laughs> there are firms that do their architecture and design firms that do the same thing. They do the, you know, they do, I don't know. Out of banks. a box? They, yeah. Well, they do, yeah. They, they specialize. And, I mean, I don't think we ever set out to specialize in, in restaurants, and I don't think that's all we want to do. We've done a lot of other types of projects, retail, adaptive use. We're doing a lot more architecture, ground up right now. Um, and some multifamily projects that are just obviously taking off here in Atlanta like crazy and have been for a while. So we've got, you know, the restaurants are what get people excited. You know, like yeah. we, we said, we had... Um, if money was no object, we'd probably only do restaurants because yeah. the clients are fun to work with. They are fun oh. to but, work but, with. But, you know, we are well, still like business. Hosp- <laughs> for hospitals, say, like we t- I remember talking about this. We, we do this thing called 10 Things I Learned at Square Feet Studio, and it's based on the book. 100 things I learned in architecture school and we'll do this every so often with the office and one of the things was I get to go visit my you know one of the good things I learned or that I enjoy is I get to go visit my clients say that your clients are you know a a hospital I guess you could go you don't really want to go to the hospital (laughs) getting my spleen removed but I mean there's some amazing (laughs) hospital you know healthcare focused architects and designers out there and they're amazing I used to work for a firm that only that mainly did that and um it's 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 more lucrative we need to build hospitals but you know we can go have a drink and some oysters at watchman's or um you know coffee and a croissant at bread and butterfly and be pretty happy mm-hmm. and see a client yeah talk to them and that's pretty cool yeah that is really cool and that one also like another one of the aspects of the industry i mean like you know the guy that installed your you know point of sale might come into your restaurant, but it's probably because he's fixing something. Yeah. You know, like I doubt you're calling <laughs> Square Feet Studio to like, um, can you, our light bulbs just burned out? You yeah. know, like, oh, then no, we've gotten that <laughs> call so before. We, we get those calls. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's a place where that fits into your story. But yeah, but that, that's a really cool point, though, is that yeah. you guys get to be on the front end of really helping them, you know, give, give some stability to how this business is going to be presented to the public. Yeah. But then you also get to reap the benefit of, being a customer as well. <laughs> it's actually yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. No, we've it's an been awesome community. It's just, they've been great. The people we've met over the last 17 years, it's just, it's just awesome. And it's getting out of just the Atlanta region. You know, like Vivian said, we're doing things in North Carolina. We're doing things in other parts of the country. There's a recognition that what's going on in Atlanta is special, um, in the food and, and the design. Um, you got to plug um, the latest restaurant in, in Cal- I Industries. Forgot. John's going to the friends and family next week for... Yeah, we're opening up our first restaurant in California, in Santa Cruz. Jeff Wall, who was the opening chef for Kimball House. Yeah. Um, we helped him do his first restaurant out in Santa Cruz. Really? opening up this week or oh next gosh. weekend. You'll be yeah, there it's a really week awesome. from now. Yeah. That is yeah. awesome. Quit saying awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Have you heard David Sedaris says about awesome? Jeff is awesome. I'd imagine, the restaurant yeah. is awesome. I'd imagine whatever David Sedaris has to say about anything, it's very <laughs> jaded and extremely funny. Yeah. 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 But, but Jeff is awesome. We do yeah. have to say that. And we're <laughs> happy that he called us way back here in Atlanta when once he headed out west. That's so cool. So that's the latest restaurant opening, I think. Uh, well, yeah, since it's next weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's about as timely as we can get. Yeah. We got to get Andy yeah. over there to shoot it. Is that going to happen? I have no idea. We can reach out to him. We got to beg Andy. Yeah, it is December 2nd for anybody who's listening to this in whatever it is, January <laughs> or February. But um, this will all be problems of the past while yes. people are listening to this. But, um, but yeah, that's actually, you know, I... I wanted to, you know, kind of like going into the home stretch here, you know, I wanted to ask you guys just, you know, give me an idea of like, you know, how, how would you guys define, you know, just kind of going forward, you know, like mentioning, you know, Atlanta's really 
in a in a very sweet spot right now. I think when it comes to the to the culinary community and just how people are experiencing food and and restaurant level and and especially just with how the industry is presented, you know, now 2018 and going into beyond. But you know, how how would you guys define like you know what restaurant design and, and architecture is is really becoming? Oh, you know, we always say that people. It, it, Eater just did the awards for, you know, all their different things. And people are talking about design. I, I don't want the design to be the focus. I mean, people might go to see it, and but they're there for the food. They're there for the drink. It's what the chef's doing. So we want to make their job as easy as possible. Obviously, you're laying out a space. You're, you're, you're designing their, their workplace, mm-hmm. right? So because we've done a lot of workplace interiors and architecture as well and i feel like the way atlanta is going it's it's so eclectic i love that i love i mean you know buford highway is a force right there's and then we have these james beard nominated chefs and then there's crossover between that they every as we've learned through staple house they all everybody knows each other when we were on the when we went for ryan's birthday up to see you know the best what were those um, things that we had on the bus with Ryan? Um, you know, like the little, the, the um, is it El Rey? With the, the tacos? The tacos. Oh, the banh mi? The, yeah. Not the banh mi, is, yeah. But we, you Taco know, El Rey Del Taco? Yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> the yeah. craziest and awesome name. Awesome. <laughs> so we would just go and, and, and try these, all these different places out. I think Atlanta is adventurous mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I don't want it to be about the design. I mean, we want to yeah. have, you know, we, designers always want to have a decent, you know, place in the, in the, in the, in the cultural landscape. But at the same time, I don't think we... Um, I don't want it to be just about the design because then if the food's not good and the, des- I mean, you've, you've seen that before. We're not particularly hospitable to these folks coming from New York with their million, $5 million restaurants, you know, and the food's not any good. It's not as good as their, you know, the restaurants are focusing on as their original endeavors. Mm-hmm. So I would say that, you know, Atlanta needs to be, um, You've got a funny look on your face, John. Lands well, needs no, to be was, w- t- uh, true to themselves. Yeah, I was just going to say, what I, I see chefs really, really hunkering down and getting focused on what they need to do to serve the food they want to serve. And that, a lot of times, I'm seeing means editing menus, really, really streamlining. What what chefs can do out of smaller and smaller kitchens continues to, to impress me. I mean, you know, three, four years ago, everybody was doing a 4,500-square-foot restaurant. Then it was a 3,500-square-foot restaurant. Now it's 2,500 square feet. So what I'm seeing is is chefs hunkering down with just what they need to do mm-hmm. to put the food out that they want to that they want to put out, and we want to follow that. You and know, you're we reminding wanna, we wanna, me of G- we've learned so much from Jarrett Steber. Mm. Yeah, right on. Yeah, right on. Right on the show pretty yeah. well late in season one, but yes. we, we've been talking to Jarrett for years about um, his his restaurant, which he's you know things keep getting better and better um, for him. I don't. Yeah, we you don't should talk s- to Jarrett if you haven't <laughs> talked to Jarrett recently. <laughs> yeah, um, things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you, you know, but yeah, his concept has always been tight, tight, tight. And, you know, I used to always wonder about the business planning of that and how that, you know, extends, you know, five and 10 years from now. But, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not our job. That's the chef's job. If they want to get a tight restaurant going that really allows them to serve their food, we want to help them do that. And that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing. You still have the, the Ford Fries and the resurgences that are doing the bigger uh, restaurants that are driven by a different, um, by different sort of, um, sort of machine, so, so to speak, they're always going to be there. But, um, but I think the, the, the newer chefs and the chefs that are sort of trying to like push things forward are, um, are really getting focused, which I love, I love to see. I mean, nothing extraneous, get rid of all the extraneous stuff, focus on what you need to do. And we are down with that. Yeah. That's awesome. But <laughs> Man, we've, uh, we've, we've covered just, just so much. I mean, I love just hearing, you know, so much of, you know, how, how your guys' story really came to be here at Square Feet Studio, how you guys met, some of the work that, you've guys, that you guys have done, you know, kind of what's on the horizon even. But, um, but man, with just like the last like minute here, you know, what, what do you want to leave everybody with? Like, you know, anything that, that you guys have on top of your minds? Mm. I keep thinking of my Uncle Nick that had a restaurant in Winston-Salem for years. It was after my grandfather's restaurant closed and he, I mean, he was very young and he had, it was called the carriage house and he had been like a football star quarterback of the, you know, uh, state champions. And he, everyone in town knows him, knew him. And he's been in retirement for years now, but, um, he cooked simple, delicious food and the place was packed 
Hmm. And you'd have everybody from politicians. I think of, you know, some of the restaurants here in Atlanta, like Pascal's, that's well known with civil rights. Right. This was obviously not a civil rights restaurant, but it was it was in Winston-Salem, which, you know, can be sort of a white bread place. It was integrated and he was Greek. He is Greek. And um, I just think of my uncle Nick and his story and his drive and passion to create a, a home-like atmosphere. I mean, he had the best pork chops. He had the best salads. He had the best desserts, you know, and nothing fancy. The space wasn't fancy. You know, he had, he had my father, I'm sure, sold him his kitchen equipment. My dad would come out of the <laughs> kitchen after checking on things. He'd have a glass of wine in his hand. You know, we'd go there to eat. I like that. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I feel that at, at any number of the restaurants we've designed um, because of the people that are there. Um, so, you know, thinking back to restaurants from the 60s and 70s and into the 80s and what's going to happen forward, I think it's always going to be, if it's people-focused, it's, it's going to be right. The people that work there, the people that create there, and the people that come to dine on those creations. You know, I think, I think we need more of those um, sort of soulful places, no matter what. Mm -hmm. We're getting them, but I think that's got to be the focus for Atlanta. And that's mm -hmm. what, those are the type of projects we want to be involved in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would just say I've, I've been here 30 plus years now, and um, it's the best time in Atlanta, all, all across the spectrum. Um, food, design, uh, belief in community. Um, I'm just so glad that we made the decision to, to, to lay down our roots and, and stay. It, just, it seems like it keeps getting better right now. I mean, we're sitting here looking at the Beltline. <laughs> Ten years ago, it didn't exist. There, the restaurant community uh, in that same 10-year period has just exploded into you know some of the best in the national scene. And I'm just glad we're, we're, we're here and getting to do it. What, what you're doing, you know, 10 years ago, you probably couldn't have gotten 40-something podcasts out of it. Now you've probably got 40 more, you yeah. know, to do. And that's just a real tribute to there's something going on in Atlanta right now that is bringing the right people and allowing the right things to happen. And we love, we love being here and being a part of that. Yeah. Well, man, John, Vivian, it was just such a pleasure having you guys on the show. And we'll we'll have everything on the episode page for everybody to check out just some of the awesome work that you guys have done. And if you do, pass by on the Beltline, wave, and they'll probably see you through the windows. We haven't pulled and anybody into our talk. I know. That'll have to be like a part two of our, <laughs> of our podcast. It'll just be like interviewing people on the... Uh, anybody on a bird scooter just like come on yeah. by there goes three right now <laughs> exactly but but guys it was such a pleasure having you on the show thank you so much likewise thanks, thanks so much yeah. thank you many thanks to john and vivian for joining me here on the show and if you'd like to see some more of their work head over to squarefeetstudio.com slash projects and then do yourself a real favor and go visit the restaurants that they have worked so painstakingly to design my recommendation, go grab a cookie and a latte from Little Tart Bake Shop over in Krog, or maybe even a black and white cookie over at the General Muir over near Emory. Uh, and as you can tell, I have a real cookie thing going on. But anyway, you get the idea. Head over there and bask in the glow of their hard work. And since recording this episode, John and Vivian were actually named two of Atlanta's most powerful leaders in the city from Atlanta Magazine. Congrats to you both. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz, and if you like what you hear, you can support the show on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry. <laughs>